0: Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close! Still short. Oh, it's on. Big there he is. He's over.
1: And welcome to the Rugby Royal Rumble Round Two, Backed by popular demand. It's an all-in brawl of ideas, debates, highballs and hot takes from a range of representatives from Australia's current Rugby Union podcasters. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, let's get ready to rumble. Bouncing into the ring, he's a proud Queenslander who, out of all of us, has probably had the only thing to crow about this year in the Reds winning the Super Rugby AU. He's a mathematician by day, a rugby savant by day and night, and he's our resident rain man when it comes to putting together week-to-week analysis and statistics. One half of the Rugby Fixation podcast returning back, we have Mitch Rev Evans.
2: That needs to go on my tombstone. That is lovely. That is um, high praise. I'll, <laughs> I'll take it all very excited. Uh, good to be talking rugby.
1: Good to see you, mate. Over in the blue corner, although he's wearing gold right now, is uh, he has all the insights. Oh, sorry, no. in the blue corner he's wearing red right now. There is no blue corner, funnily enough, on this, this rumble. But uh, over in the red corner, He has all the insights into the carries, the tackles, metres gained, territory, possession, minutes played, ball touches, leg cramps, back aches, questionable tendon strains. Basically, if it happens on the rugby field, he and his team will probably know about it. He's one half of the Draft Rugby Dale Brothers and one third of the Draft Rugby podcast team that looks at all things fantasy super rugby. It's Harrison Harry Dale. Hey, Matt. Thanks very much for having me, man. I'm loving these (laughs) intros. (laughs) Picking and driving and running straight at you. Is a man who's been itching to rumble since missing out on round one earlier this year. Flying the Waratahs flag, although he's wearing gold tonight. He's been tough for him this year, but he's been there all season. Be down at the SCG or Brookvale Oval. Getting in close with the supporters and keeping an ear to the street. He's the other half of the Pick and Drive podcast, a weekly podcast that is picking up steam as the weekly go-to podcast for Australian rugby fans. Welcome to the Rumble, Mitchell Mitch Foster.
0: Thank you, everyone. That's a great intro. I'm glad we're recording this because that might need to go (laughs) in every episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast moving forward. That was awesome. Thank you.
1: Right. Now we're two minutes in, so I'm probably taking too long with this. Last of all, myself, (laughs) Matt Durrant, director and host of the Gold Digger podcast series. I'm a humble rugby servant here because I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but talking rugby. And also because I'm a lone wolf podcaster, so I can't tag anyone else in. Welcome, gentlemen, to this, our second Australian Rugby Royal Rumble for 2021. And here we are at the end of, well, first half of the season. There's a lot more rugby to come in in 2021, but we've just finished Super Rugby Trans Tasman. So why don't we just kick it off by, I guess, talking about the the final between the Blues and Highlanders at Eden Park last week. Um, Mitch, do you want to, or Rev, maybe? Mitch or Rev? Do you guys want to
2: kick us off with your thoughts on the final? Uh, Yeah, happy to kick it off. Um, So Blues, I guess for the team I was going for, mainly just because I felt bad they hadn't won anything in quite a while. I think 2003 was their last final. And um, look, it was a really good game. It was probably the best game we've seen in a while. It was the closest we'd been to a a test match sort of feeling. Um, And with some of the blowout games from Trans-Tasman, I think it was nice to finish with something that felt really um, like a bit of an ebb and flow with a few lead changes towards the end of the game and, um, and a nice bit of, I guess, change, despite the Highlanders not being able to cross the whitewash, they stayed in the match uh, really well. And really, until the last minute, it was pretty much anyone's match. Um, so I, I was stoked to see that. And I thought that actually did justice to what was a pretty tough season to watch in that trans-Tasman.
1: What did you think, Harry, given given your, you've got a slight allegiance to the South Island? Yeah, I've, I've
3: uh, definitely tried to show my colours. I was obviously, as Nelson probably put all over social media, pretty disappointed I'd flown over to New Zealand and just assumed that Christchurch would be hosting the final. So team let me down. But neither, either way, I decided I'd back the, uh, the South Island side, the Highlanders, so a little bit disappointed with the result. But uh, a very good game. It's so different to what we saw through Trans-Tasman and through the domestic competitions as well. I managed to rope my wife in to go to the pub and watch it. And it was just a real ebb and flow battle, real tight game. I thought that the uh, the Blues breakdown was absolutely outstanding and was probably the highlight of the match for me. They were just so dominant in that area and it was probably the big difference maker, but a, a very good final and uh, the Blues deserved winners.
1: Yeah, look, I think from our to AU, all the finals this year were nice and close, which was a good contest. Mitch, did you think that all the teams played a bit differently when it came to the finals as opposed to the... regular seasons leading
0: up yeah i think um one of the things i enjoyed most about this final is it probably didn't fit the storyline that we've come to expect of (laughs) Super the last few years in that it wasn't the crusaders in there just rolling anyone they came up against so come the last sort of 10 15 minutes the game was really there for both teams to play for and we haven't seen that for a while now where a final apart from super rugby au the last few years super rugby in its normal format has generally been the finals have been tied up with about 20 minutes to go the crusaders are generally pretty far ahead uh, mm. particularly particularly last few years so it was refreshing to have two teams that weren't the crusaders in there and the game was really come down to that last few minutes it was exciting
1: yeah look it really was um we've got Looks like one uh, Blues supporter who's joined our comments. Uh, I should probably make mention of anyone uh, wishing to to get involved. Please leave your comments, and we'll try and respond. Thanks to Brian Druffeldorf, who's our first commenter uh, of the of the the rumble, and of course uh, Ruben Black, who's basically was very very happy man, saying the Blues defence was solid. And that's what won us the game. I uh, mm. probably agree with that. I think it was probably one of the better defensive outings of, that the Blues had put on all year given uh, they'd had some big wins but they'd also had a lot of points scored against them throughout the season. Um, I mean, look, looking back at the game, and I guess one thing that did stick out to me was that neither of the two teams in that final played in the Super Rugby Aotearoa final. What do we make of that, given that there was a team, an undefeated team in the Crusaders, that didn't even get a chance to uh, play for a semi-final spot or anything that might have gotten them a a second-chance final?
2: Well, with um, this final, I, I think the difference between these two teams was the kicking game. Um, the New Zealand size as a whole really demonstrated a strong kicking advantage over the Aussies. And the Blues and the Highlanders were probably two of the teams that executed that best by having a kicking option in the halves and at fullback. Um, the Blues' decision to have Zan Sullivan as a fullback over Stephen Perifetta was just marvel- like He is a rookie player and had better kicking um, tactically and for territory than any Australian player and convincingly too. Like if you look at the five games, he was so dominant with that aspect, um, which is crazy for such a young player to come in and die like that. Uh, and much the same for the Highlanders. They've got the smart box kicking of Aaron Smith. Uh, you've got Mitch Hunt and Joshiwani who played 10-15. So it's like they've got kicking options across the park and we saw throughout uh, Trans-Tasman and to Roll it. the teams that kicked more often normally won, uh, normally mm-hmm. because they could sort of uh, pile on the pressure in the opposition 22. So for me, that was probably the big thing is just those teams that kicked more and kicked smartly like the Blues and the Highlanders. Um, they dominated.
1: Yeah, yeah. But well, Harry, there, there was a there's a comment from uh, Ben Van der Linden asking, do you feel the games flow better under New Zealand refs? What was your your thoughts on the on the final I hope, at least?
3: Uh, honestly, I I didn't have that feeling. Um, I I thought that they're obviously a lot more lax around some of the high contact areas, which means that you're probably spending less time with 14 men on the field because there weren't as many yellow and red cards coming from the New Zealand refs. But I I genuinely thought that the Aussie Aussie refs did a really, really good job letting the game flow as well in this competition. So I I didn't think it was a massive difference. I I think that probably the difference in this one in particular was that both sides you could see there was a little bit of nerves with so much on the line and I think it was probably more a case of the game flowing because there was a lot of turnover ball and and neither team was able to kind of, I guess, Impose themselves completely across the game. There was a lot of change
1: and a lot of uh, excitement because of that. Yeah, there was a lot of scrutiny around some of the calls, and I think it just felt like the TMOs as well were, were very much involved, and 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 there's this bizarre dynamic still playing out between referees and TMOs, and, you know, I, I don't know. My personal opinion is it, it feels as though they're still they're just still finding their rhythm with some of the new laws that are coming in and obviously the, the pressure coming from World Rugby and others to, to respond to, to head high hits. Mitch, what was your sort of take on, I suppose, Trans-Tasman as an as a overall competition? Uh, and, and you know, that might lead us into our next, our next uh, category.
0: It's an interesting one. Uh, if looking at it purely from an Australian perspective, it wasn't good enough. It definitely wasn't enough. Two wins from 25 games is nowhere near the level that we expected. Or we, we need in a competitive competition. It really takes away that competitiveness when we've got teams that four of our, three of our five teams went, didn't even get a win in this competition. So yeah. from that side alone, it raises questions about the sustainability of it moving forward. But if you also look at um, the, the results and the fact that we had three teams who were completely undefeated throughout the season and that one of them, the Crusaders, miss out on the final... It, it doesn't really bode well as a competition either because you don't have you, you can do the best you can possibly do and you still don't make the final it, mm. it, doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't seem too competitive.
1: Rev, you were coming off a glorious triumph at night in in Brisbane what, what probably seems like an age ago now um, one week later it was a pretty tough outing for the Reds over in New Zealand um you know what was that sort of feeling of seeing? A triumphant Super Rugby final, and then seeing a, a pretty tough game to watch the following week.
2: It was just, um, it was like a bad hangover, which I guess is much like what the Reds players were experiencing themselves because they, mm. um, they were partying all throughout the uh, week as it was you know, deserved to because it was a great combination of what I thought was a great domestic competition mm. and just having that six day turnaround. They never really recovered from that. And I think it's um, one of the shames of the competition that we didn't have that week in between mm. to perhaps see what they would have looked like at full strength. But even with that being said, um, none of the Aussie teams built into it, so it was a bit disappointing. Um, definitely in the preparation for this podcast, I looked back at um, the podcast I did straight after that Reds win, and the mood was definitely much higher. Like I had Brett McKay on. We were um, both very confident, both really excited about the trans Cup comp- to come. I think we were saying um, one win a week uh, at least by the Aussie sides, but ideally two, um, and we got two across the whole season. So um, it was a bit of a fall from grace, But there were enough positives I think we could take away from it that there's still something to get excited about next year.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, two out of 25 wins, it's it's pretty hard to massage those numbers to look better. Um, While the teams didn't look so good, I'm curious to know, you know, I thought there were some individual, you know, performances that stood out. Harry, obviously looking at individual players the way you guys do at, at draft rugby, was there any particular players across the Australian teams that stood out for you in terms of their their efforts or their, you know, the things that they were able to gain. Yeah, I mean, the, the one that I, I think is on the top of everyone's list is obviously going to be Rob
3: Ballatini. Mm. I think he excelled through Super Rugby AU and there was some big question marks on whether or not he would have actually be able to go on with that through against the uh, Kiwi opposition. And I think he did that and, and if not improved. So mm. I thought he himself a massive favor in terms of his role of his credentials with how we competed week in week out in losing sides really every single week with the exception of a you know lucky miss kick from Julie Barrett against the Hurricanes he uh, he was exceptional um yeah. and in terms of individual performance the other one from I, I guess a statistical uh perspective was Angus Bell so you know we, we obviously talk a lot of fantasy footy over at draft rugby but Angus Bell ended up having the highest scoring average of any player in the entire competition at Five points higher than Richie Moana, so mm. it, it just shows his work rate, carrying the ball, and how he gets through contact is exceptional. And uh, and in defence, he has a, a big in as well. So I thought he did really, really well for himself as well. Yeah, look, I think
1: that that they were the, probably the bright moments. I'm sure we'll talk about some of them later as 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 they're, they are in the Wallaby squad. I, I, I suppose and look, I I do try to be positive, but anyone that's listened to my podcast know that it's more of a a, a critical. Uh, look at Australian rugby. So I try to be objective. None of this came as a surprise to me, unfortunately. Um, I I suppose I've just been looking at the super rugby competition. I think 2020 and and the year that we've all had was it was a great reset. And it was a lot of unknowns going into this last two years, really. So I think this was probably the first chance we've really had to see how we measure up. Um, Interestingly, and of course, my team uh, the Western Force, I thought. Was, it was a funny old year because they did seem to have some good wins and they did seem to put up a, a better performance against the Kiwis. Uh, they do have an older squad. Some of those guys aren't going to be there much longer. There's a lot of internationals. Um, a couple of players aren't going to be there anymore. Uh, they they bit the bullet and just went with the Cabelli the, the and Miotti combination, which I thought paid dividends for them, but that's probably not going to be there next year. So I think, and, and now the Rebels have obviously lost some some really crucial players. So uh, it's it's going to be a tough, tough year for a couple of teams next year to to build off from that, whereas I think many places the Waratahs could be looking at hopefully learning from this year and, and hardening up a bit and coming back maybe with one or two uh, inclusions and, and eventually a head coach whenever that might happen. Anyone got any, any ideas on when that might be announced? No, they're staying pretty quiet on that one, I think, at the moment. Yeah, what what do we think about this notion of not playing the Kiwis so that we can have more Australian wins? And, and obviously, domestic Super Rugby AU Australia was was a lot uh, a, a big winner uh, ratings wise and with spectators. And, and obviously, there's this feeling that we can we can go it alone, or we could do a lot of it our alone, and maybe play the Kiwis and other teams sparingly. Um, I don't know, Harry. What are your what are your sort of thoughts on on us uh, going solo?
3: I think um, with any of these kind of conversations, there's always people sitting at both extremes, and the truth probably generally lies somewhere in the middle. If we don't play the Kiwis at all, I think we will really miss a trick in terms of preparing ourselves against really quality opposition. And I, I think the Super Rugby competition has showed us that that we're not quite where we need to be, and we need to learn from that. Having said that, I, the TV ratings is a massive one for me four hundred odd thousand for the AU Grand Final. 70,000 for the Trans-Tasman final, and our ratings dropped throughout that competition. The reason is because we kept losing, and we got to where we are over the last 20 years because we repeatedly did not actually value a winning side, and we've just turned fan-off after fan-off. Everyone knows Aussies love winning sides. To me, I think you have to have a good element of a winning Aussie competition where fans can get behind and celebrate the wins, You can still hear Rev talk glowingly about their Super Rugby AU win, despite what was a pretty grim following competition. So I I think there has to be an element of New Zealand in there, but uh, there there also needs to be a competition where we can actually win.
1: Well, let's talk, (coughs) pardon me, let's talk about what that competition might (coughs) look like in uh, 2022. Mitch, do you want to run us through some slides that you've prepared uh, around what potential Super Rugby? trans-Tasman
0: competitions could look like. Yeah, sure. So we'll wait for those to just pop up. So I went through and put together a few formats that we might be able to look at for 2022 and ideally chat chat through what we think is going to be best for Australian rugby, not just for super rugby, but for Australian rugby. So Mm -hmm. if we move on to the next one. Yeah. So the first model we've got is an expanded trans-Tasman competition, which is basically taking super rugby, what we had before, and moving the South African contingent and playing it just between Australia and New Zealand teams. So regular home and away between 12 teams, six in Australia, um, including the Fijian in Drua, and six in New Zealand with the Moana Pacifica. Top four teams at the end of the regular season make the semis. Two semifinals. Winner of each semi goes on to the grand final. One overall winner. So if we move forward, we've got a bit of a, a graphic to explain how that looks. So we've got all the Super Rugby sides this is the ladder that we saw finish from Super Rugby Trans Tasman, including the Fijian and Drew Ramawana mm-hmm. Pacifica. Top four teams play off um, in two semi-finals. Then we get the two, the, the semi, the the grand final between the two, and we've got one winner at the end of it. I think you got Latin. the wrong team as the winner. I, I thought you had <laughs>
2: Crusaders there, and not Reds. Maybe that's a that's just a small typo. <laughs>
0: that must have been a typo. Yeah. Yeah. Being a little bit realistic as well, I guess, as we look at the results here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that too, That too. <laughs> We'll um, get everyone laughing, I'm sure. Move on to the next one. Uh, Model 2 is an integrated model. So Super Rugby and are played independently of one another, basically what we did this season. Winner from each tournament after the domestic season, the teams play home or away against each team in the opposite competition. But unlike 2021, the points from Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Aotearoa carry across into the Trans-Tasman competition, which may see some of that gap shorten a little bit so that if a team was to drop a game early on in the season, which was probably going to happen, what we saw this year, it's not necessarily the end of their complete season. So we've got Super Rugby AU with the winners being the the Reds this year, Super Rugby Aotearoa with the winners being the Crusaders. We go across, we play all of the teams, home or away, and we have one final winner at the end of it. Pretty much what we saw this year. Uh, Domestic-only model, so this removes the international sides completely. So the New Zealand sides, all Australian rugby, all Australian base super rugby teams play the Fijian at plus the Fijian Drua play each other home and away. The top team automatically qualifies for the final second and third place team playoff for the second spot, basically super yeah. rugby AU this year. And every year we will have an Australian or Fijian team which wins. So this is the super rugby AU model moving forward. That so looks good. <laughs> We've got the Waratahs somehow <laughs> making it into the semi-final, but the grand final there with the, between the Reds and the Rumbies and the Reds taking it out in this in this model. Um, this last model that i put up here is a little bit of an interesting one that I found someone suggested online. A little bit funny, a little bit different, but could add a new spice to things. So, I'm calling it the Sevens model because it sort of follows that idea of a, a plate, shield, and bowl playoff. So, Super Rugby and Altero are played independently of one another. The results of each competition determine the seeds for the crossover competition or this sevens model. So, the top two teams from each comp play off for the plate. The third and fourth place teams play off for the bowl. And the fifth and sixth place teams play off for the shield. So, mm-hmm. if we move into the next one, so how this looks is we've got Super Rugby AU f- as it finished this year. Um, if we included the Andrua, I imagine that's where they might finish this year. Um, Super Rugby Alteroa including the Moana Pacifica. And so then we've got three separate competitions that go across and we've got home and away or some form of each team plays the other teams in their pool for the plate finals, the bowl finals and the shield finals. So we've got three trophies up for grabs. It means that at the end of Super Rugby AU, your team's not completely out of it if they're in the bottom half of the competition. We've got more models, more comps to play, more interest for fans to get behind, and it's just a little bit more engaging for everyone.
1: Yeah, it's a it's it's a, that's that last one's really interesting because it just it may it means every position kind of stands for something and every team has a has a has an opportunity to at least play the competition out. Um Brygan is a fan of model two, suggesting every weekend contains both in conference and cross conference matches. I suppose that sort of starts to go back to what super rugby up to 2019 was in terms of there being Australian, South Africa and New Zealand conferences and then a bit of mixture around. I think that did get confusing, but maybe it wouldn't be so confusing if you've only got two conferences to to, to manage. Uh, Harry, what are your thoughts on on these uh, these sorts of uh, models?
3: Yeah, I I think of the two conferences, first of all, you think of the NBA and they've got the East and West Conference and Mm. they do some sort of competition like that and it seems to work pretty well. So I I think the thing that made it so confusing was having Argentina and South Africa and then four conferences at one point and the constant change as well. You know, if you change the conference model every second year, of course, it's going to get confusing. So I don't don't necessarily think it would be too confusing if they did go down that path, but I mean, to, I I think that's something more like your sevens model. There is starting to come down the uh, the the to what I think would be the best win. The reason being, again, we still get our domestic competition that has a winner, and we get that increased fan engagement because of that. And then you get a couple of games for each team to test themselves against the next level of competition. And, you know, we talked pre-show and and the one thing i would said to all of you as well was I'm also keen to look at some sort of Champions Cup kind of competition where you then involve Japanese sides, South African sides, whatever it is, to try and use that as a bigger playoff model as well as another alternative to the Sevens model. But I, I think a crossover final system is
0: probably the way to go. And I think um, looking at the Sevens model as well, it probably bounces out a little bit more instead of going into all of the Australian sides versus all of the New Zealand sides when you've got a team like the Waratahs this year going up against the Crusaders you expect it to be a cricket score but if they're only playing the team in the bottom half of the Super Rugby Aotearoa finals placing then it probably bounces out a little bit more it makes more sense to not have those cricket scores and then people know what to expect going into it
1: yeah i suppose the hurricanes if they did make the shield could probably have something to get something to say about it given that they'd probably See themselves as as being at bold finals level, but then again, you know that just would put them. I guess it makes makes the New Zealand comp a lot more uh, competitive. Um, I mean, it is, it is what
3: it is. I think you see that in mm. uh, in the sevens world tournament as well, right? You get a pool that's yeah. stacked with three good sides, and all of a sudden, one of the really good strong sides in world rugby are down in the lower competition. So, I, mm. I think as you said, it just adds more interest to their domestic competitions.
1: Yeah, uh, Rev, what are your what are your thoughts looking at these sort of models?
2: Well, I'm, I'm split right between going the integrated model and the sevens model. I think there's uh, benefits from both. And I think what I want to do is uh, get the winning feeling that we had with that Super Rugby AU, but we still need to verse those Kiwi sides. We need to make sure we are getting competition against the best. Uh, so what I think would probably work out best is we do have those two pools. Um, you verse everyone in your own pool, home and away. You verse everyone in the other pool. Um, you end up with 16 games, which is the same length of games we had between 2011 and 2015 which incidentally was Australian rugby's best period. We had two um, Super Rugby winners. We had the Brumbies in a final in that four-year period. So I think 16 games worked out really well. Um, any less, we might not be getting enough exposure, and any more it was getting a bit convoluted. So I think, um, yeah, if we're versing all those Australian teams home and away versus Kiwis, and then we can do that sevens model, you get 16 um, pretty good quality games, but you still get to get tested against the best. Because as much as it sucked watching um, some of those you know blowout scores, we do need that because we are going to be versing those players in Test rugby. Like, there's no point hiding from it um, and just pretending that we're doing really well by ourselves. We do need to have those games. And I think a lot of those players, um, we saw how young the Waratahs squad was and the Rebels squad. A lot of those guys it was the first time they've played New Zealand opposition at Super Rugby level. So I think the more we do that, the better off we'll be.
1: We've got a bit of support for the Sevens model from some of our, our watchers, our listeners, uh, Robski and uh, Dave. So I think uh, quite, quite. You know, obviously something is going to happen because we've just read today there's an article that's just come out saying that Rugby Australia and New Zealand uh, Rugby Union have not uh, agreed on anything yet. Obviously there's going to be concerns over who is having to foot the bill for uh, the new teams in addition to their world rugby and perhaps private equity uh, money that's putting them together. I'll be very interested, I suppose, if we're all, everyone seems to be talking about the Fiji Drawer, been an Australian-based team, but I'd be very interested to know where they would be based. Whether it would be um, Queensland or, or New South Wales or, Western, know, Sydney. or Western Sydney, um, so somewhere else even. Who knows? Maybe maybe down in Melbourne. It, 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 it honestly, I just it, that that seems to be a pretty critical part of it because obviously games in Fiji will be costly. Currently, it'll be hard to manage games there um, and, and get crowds. But I mean, I think those seem to be the sort of I's and, and, and T's that haven't been dotted and crossed yet but once they do, uh, then we'll, we'll start to see.
0: I would say the crowds might yeah. not be too much of an issue. We saw the Drua when they were playing in the NRC and particularly that mm. final that they they hosted the second last year, I think it was, that they played. They um they had fans hanging out of trees outside the, the stadium like they were at capacity and still wanted pe- mm. people still wanted to get in there. Now, I don't recall the last time, probably 2014, that the Waratahs sold out a stadium in Sydney. So I don't necessarily think filling up a stadium is going to be an issue, but I do. my concerns are around how they fund it and the cost will greatly fall back on the away team that has to travel Mm -hmm. to New Zealand to be able to compete because I don't see a, a Fijian side being able to foot the bill to be involved in the competition but also put up the teams that are going to come to Fiji, host them for a week, give them facilities they need to prepare and then host them and play the game. I just don't know where that money is going to come from.
3: Yeah, I guess that'll be a big part of what their bid was to enter the competition, right? Like they're not going to be entered into a competition if they can't provide the facilities and the financial, uh, I guess, security that they can be part of the competition. And you know, there's there's another article coming out today saying you need about ten million bucks a year to to be in Super Rugby. If they can find that investment and that money, albeit from you know some rich benefactors or something like that, then why not let them be in it? And, you know, I'm sure if we ask the Fijian druer where they wanted to be based, I'm pretty sure they're going to say Fiji. So it's great that we can, you know, we can offer up a bunch of Sydney cities, uh, Sydney cities, Australian cities, but um, I think it definitely has to be put on where they want to be part of it as well as what sure. will work. Yeah. Um, so, we, you know, we do actually uh, see what they want as well. And can I just back jump back to Robski's comment quickly? Mm. Uh, she asked what we could do to influence... I think it's been pretty clear if you watch Rugby Heaven tonight that kick and drive are the are going to be the key influences here after they're shed out on the show tonight. So I'm looking to you, Mitch, mate. You can make it happen, right? right. Your idea, your, your, your genius.
1: But you, you guys are rugby influencers now, so yeah, the pressure has now been on. Uh, a shout out I think a shout out to Roz as well, um, yeah. who, who certainly is a big fan of of a lot of the podcasts and and that has been a I I think a good thing. You guys had Morgan Tiranui and you know a, a guy who's who's always pretty honest with his opinions. So I think you know in, in answer to you Robsky, what can we all do to influence it? Well, all we could do is just keep talking about it and and keep all these conversations present about what it is we all want what we all think is the best, and, and hopefully at some point the decision-makers actually listen to the people who are going to, you know, pay money to, to attend matches and, and subscribe. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tim Foster um, has just commented about what if they bring back the NRC? Well, that's probably a good segue um, to the next couple of slides, which I'll quickly run through. Um, these are uh, basically sort of looking at the, um, the layout of the, the, the rugby schedule. So if we, we, take it's, we take it as a given that there'll be some sort of super rugby uh, trans-Tasman competition put together, whether it's one of Mitch's models or something different, you know, we're going to probably have something from February to May or June even um, in that area. But then what happens next? And I think this is the big conversation in Australia now is, you know, we do need a development competition. Um, we've seen probably too many players uh, thrust into playing Super Rugby this year that perhaps didn't have quite the experience, um, you know, really in the lion's den, which, you know, there's a, a school of thought that that's a good thing, that it hardens them up, toughens them up. Um There's another school of thought that it can can burn them out and put a lot yeah. of pressure on them. And, you know, I want one thought, I think I asked this question of our, our group, Shatter Harry, and I don't know if there was any answer or if we we got an answer. It was just the injury count to the Australian players versus the New Zealanders, and it does seem like there was a lot more injuries on the Australian side of the ledger.
3: I I think there definitely were. My my take from the start of the competition coming back into another really physical week-to-week competition was that Mm. the Kiwis' injuries seemed to be really severe. They had a lot of season-ending injuries compared to the Aussies, but the Aussies seemed to have really frequent competitions where they had so many players that were being used throughout the comps as well. So Mm. I, I think there was different competition to competition, but in terms of just sheer volume, Definitely, I would have thought it was uh, it was the Aussies that had more injuries.
1: Yeah. So looking ahead, okay. So so I think it's 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 well agreed that we need some sort of uh, NRC or some sort of development tier, a third tier, if you will, if we count um, international being first and Super Rugby being being second. So this is currently where we're at now, where we have Super Rugby um, taking up the first five five months of the year, five six months, and then our club competitions kick in. And also last from about April to September, very state to state. Now the old system was when we had NRC; it was a very short competition, and it, in some cases, really only lasted seven weeks. And it was at the end of a end of a club year, basically. So I think the school of thought was it would give both amateur club players and uh, leftover Super Rugby squad players a chance to to thrash it out and get a bit of extra rugby at a more elite level. Um, currently, if we were to do that now, you've got to assume that there's there's not many, not much money to do much but this is probably the cheapest model um, to get something internally uh, to give players more game time and uh, to allow a lot of the squad players from Super Rugby that didn't get many games a chance to play. Um, <clears throat> my, my biggest uh, disadvantage and probably why I never really got into NRC personally was it just was too short for relevance. Um, it always seemed to be at an odd time of the year and, um, you know, it was just a, such a short competition. Um, if we look at option two, and, again, these are just a bunch of different options. We're throwing them out there. There's probably others. Um, we look at expanding the middle. So what would that look like? Well, basically, nothing really changes in club land or super rugby, but we expand the NRC to 16 weeks. Now, the reason I say 16 weeks is if we look at, a say, an 18-NRC-type competition, you've got uh, two rounds plus finals, and that's more weeks than what the Bunnings or NPC New Zealand and Curry Cup play. Uh, roughly. They're, they're, they're at the moment about uh, 10 weeks plus finals in New Zealand and 14 weeks plus finals in South Africa and my personal opinion is if we're looking at trying to develop that middle base of players we need to be playing more rugby than those two countries uh, where they have similar type competitions and um, obviously that would have to be, if not semi-professional uh, fully professional so massive costs um, uh, and, with that and that model, would be
0: with mm, that model with the see in the middle how does that work if you've got the Shoot Shield and Hospital Cup running consecutively? Do we enough well, to to spread the players to play both? Well, the Super Rugby players would then shift down into the NRC. And if we look at the model that we had previously, we had two teams from New South Wales. So effectively, you split the if you split the Waratahs in half. Half go to Sydney, half go to um, New South Wales Country. Do we then yeah. have enough players to also make up that full squad without picking the players out of? shoot shield i think Look,
1: by this time of the year i presume you're going to have injuries you're going to see you're definitely still going to have big guys coming out from shoot shield but it just means that you know if you're if you're in, in, in the waratah squad you're no longer holding a crash pad and then yeah. going off and playing for uh you know eastwood or whoever it is you're, you're actually playing a, a a game that's a slightly higher level and uh, you know, it's going to keep that sort of uh, that squad together rather than having people break off and then go to play for you know, one of twelve different clubs. If it's New South Wales, yeah. um, the, the next slide, which which I'll, I'll rip through, uh, is not that much different. But all done is we're increasing the NRC uh, or domestic competition now. Obviously, the cost of this is going to shoot up exponentially. exponentially. All this is, is we're looking at can we mirror NRL and AFL? Can we have a, a domestic rugby season that actually starts in March when everyone else does and ends in grand final uh, season September? Does that even matter? Should we even be bothering to try and uh, mirror them? I don't know. But the, for me, the biggest thing is this gets 24 weeks. This is a huge amount of games for a team to develop. And you could mm-hmm. potentially, fill the Waratahs or the Rebels and all the force, and you need that new bunch of kids coming through. You're not forced to blood them in uh, one or two away games in New Zealand. You've got an entire season in which you can test them out. You know, one of my my bugbears as a force fan was I just didn't see enough of Jack McGregor this year. Um, yes, it's great that Rob Carney comes along, but poor old Jack McGregor, who I thought was looking good at the end of last year, got very little game time. And I think the times that he did play was when he wasn't with the force, he was back playing club rugby in WA. And he was playing fly half for his uh, local club Palmyra. Now he never plays fly half for the force. So, so what is the point of, of mm-hmm. a guy not playing in a in a half-decent elite level of competition in a position that he's actually been groomed for? And so that's one of my things is you know, we have to look at this as a as a cost, but as a as a future benefit because we're going to develop that next group of guys. And the more games you play, the more they're going to develop. Um, there's the last slide will show, and this will probably uh, really throw the cat amongst the pigeons, and then we can really <laughs> chat, and I'll, I'll have ever, and I'll have everyone come at me. This is option four, the Great Reset. Well, how could we actually pay for this expensive local NRC team? Well, if you look up in the top, you'll notice it says 10 teams when it used to say 12, and there's says three Aussie teams where it said five Aussie teams. In simple brass, in, in, in simple accounting, if we if we removed two teams from the super rugby competition. We, we free up maybe 20 million if we're going by today's uh, reports of what a super rugby team's cost to potentially put that back and fund more players and, and more teams and more coaches uh, in a more domestic competition. Biggest con is, yes, it's going to be hugely divisive. We saw that in 2017. Um, but I throw it out there because I think that there is still something that we have to do as a as a union in terms of we have, still have to do something drastic to change the way we're going. This is certainly what New Zealand were recommending in their um, uh, Aratipa review last year. I don't know what the grounds was for that, whether they'd actually looked at it from a, a qualitative, you know, analysis or whether it was just a bunch of guys sitting around a table um, coming up with numbers. Um, but this is one, 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 one way, probably not the most, uh, probably not the way a lot of people want to think about but um, it's anyway, it's one, it's one comment out there. So anyway, what are the thoughts about NRC in general, domestic competitions, and, and how we could make it work?
3: There, there's so much in there. I, I feel like we almost need to go through one by one and discuss them, to be honest, rather than mm. uh, looking at a whole. But I, I think the biggest question before you go into which model will work mm. is what do you actually want it to achieve? And I think the four models you showed there could all be fantastic, depending on what your actual aim out of the competition is. What's the point of a 24-week competition if we're going to go broke and we're just using it to develop it and the showpiece is still going to be super rugby? Or do we cut it back to three teams uh, and and have a very abbreviated super rugby and make our showpiece the NRC? If we do that, and it's really the, the bulk of rugby that's been seen on television, it'll start to pick up a following because it's the cream of the crop. You know, I, I don't think we really have any answers from anyone saying the role of the NRC is to do this exact thing other than just develop some players regardless of whatever it costs.
1: Dave, Dave Shelton, uh, Chilton sorry, has uh, uh, made a comment that no one has any skin in the game in, in NRC and fans don't follow yeah. it. Um, I'll probably challenge that from the perspective of, of someone from WA, whereas I think that the WA <coughs> did get behind the spirit yeah. and then the gold. And I think New South Wales country. I would have thought that the Eagles have a pretty proud history as well. Um, you know, I can't speak for them. Obviously, I'm not a huge fan. But but yes, I agree in terms of New South Wales and and probably Queensland, where people are more attached to their clubs rather than um, a couple of franchises that have been uh, cobbled together uh, to fit this competition. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Mitch, about you know NRC or even club domestic club competitions that have been bandied around and whether they could be uh, working.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot to chat through around what we could be doing next year. Um, I think we all agree we, knew, we do need that third tier. We need
1: uh, We lost Mitch there. He's been, he's been cut out. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No one wants to hear what they hear. <laughs> obviously, obviously, he was about to say something too hot, a really hot yeah, take. M- M- Mitch, why don't you, or Rev, why don't you jump in while we while we wait for Mitch to join us again?
2: Yeah, sure, thank you. Um, look, I think that first model with the status quo is really close to what we needed. We just need some slight tweaks because one of the big things that I noticed with all those other models, we don't at the moment have the depth to go through um, Super Rugby, NRC, and Club Rugby all at the same time. Mm. Just from running the numbers, if we're talking mid-April, on any given weekend we would need 190 props playing in australia and we don't have you know that many uh, players of a you know high enough caliber for that to be worthwhile if we're getting those players from club rugby into nrc we've suddenly got people that probably shouldn't be playing prem grade rugby Um, you know, filling in for Gordon or for East Tigers just because, you know, they're trying to fill in for another uh, competition. Mm. And one of the things, um, just going back over some of the injury comments we had about um, the Aussie sides in super rugby this year, we used 37 props. So it's like 37 professional players to try and get through there. The Waratahs alone used 10 of them and only a handful of them were actually in that squad developing. I think really to get the most benefit from NRC and what NRC should be doing is making sure that when we call players up to super rugby, they're more ready than what they were this year. So, um, my, my model would be pretty close to the status quo. Uh, we could have um, from Feb 12 to June 26, a 20-week Super Rugby comp. Uh, while that's running from March to August, so we move it ahead a month, uh, we could do our club rugby. And then from September to November is when I'd want to be getting the NRC going. And the side benefit to that is if the NRC is going while um, the Wallabies are on their spring tour, it gives the fans that aren't as diehard something to watch during the week because we're not all getting up at 2 a.m. to watch this verse either Lee or France, but there are a lot of people that, you know, have families and, you know, want to watch rugby that might be able to see Liam Wright running around for, you know, Queensland Country at 5pm, and that's probably a bit more in line with what they want. So I think that status quo keeps it pretty um, close to what we want. I think the only thing I'd do is, as you said, it's not detailed enough. So I'd keep that um, they verse everyone once, but then we set up some rivalries. So I'd want to see Brisbane City versus Queensland Country in both New South Wales teams, you know, establish that bit of um, – connection there and you know, try and force a bit of a rivalry between maybe the Brumbies and the Drua. or sorry, the Vikings and the and Drawer, um, just to get some of that thing going. So if we have maybe ten weeks of that and then the two weeks of finals, mm. that to me is probably enough um development for some of those players. You know, ten games against other professionals so that when they get to super rugby next year, uh, they are ready to go. And yeah. they're not clashing with club rugby.
1: Mitch, you're you're back with us. What was your
0: what were you going to say? I was going to say um, we all agree that we need that third tier. We need that level between Shoot Shield or Club Rugby and Super Rugby to move into the Wallabies. I think the biggest thing we need to get out of an NRC type format is improvement from players to step up to Super Rugby when they're ready, but also a, an area for the current Super Rugby teams, the the players without or the teams without their Wallabies players to still play some football and to improve. Mm. So I don't necessarily agree that there's a great amount of um, gain from splitting the players down to go back to club rugby or to split them down into two separate teams. I would prefer to keep them together. So say the Waratahs keep playing as the Waratahs. Um, and I really like Dave uh, uh, yeah, Dave Chilton's um, comment before about something along the lines of that, that plate bowl type format. So we keep our Super Rugby teams together. They don't have their Wallabies players, but they've got their young up-and-comers coming through. So they play together. We then include maybe the... And we play this after Shoot Shield and Hospital Cup finish where we were Mm -hmm. playing NRC before. Um, So you're still contracted to the Waratahs. You can go maybe at the end of Super Rugby, you go back and you play your club rugby. You play the Shoot Shield. You play the Hospital Cup. You get through the finals. Then you come back to the Waratahs and you play in this new competition where you're playing against the other Australian teams, maybe you bring in the winner of Shoot Shield, the winner of um, the Perth competition and the winner of the Hospital Cup to play in that competition against the Super Rugby sides. And then you've got that level to to build combinations going into Super Rugby the next year. But you've also got some of the younger players who aren't necessarily getting the game time during Super Rugby to get that experience against the Australian sides.
1: And I think, look, that's, I guess, I think you know, you, you've nailed it on the head. You do need to give guys time to to develop, and we can only do that by creating more opportunities for them to play. And I guess my issue uh, with things like Shoot Shield at the moment is Shoot Shield has a great history to it, and a lot of people love Shoot Shield. No one outside of New South Wales broadly cares about Shoot Shield. So unless they figure out a way to nationalise it and make it, Accessible by by having say a Perth team that gets to play in some sort of a invitational competition or the back end of it. Um, it's it's they need to make it more accessible and, and and you know I think that's where this talk about a national club competition has come in. Um, I'll, I'll I'll give him a, a comment because it's a fair comment. Jason Sherman uh, uh, jumped in um, saying I disagree. Actually, it was his previous comment to to I think my last slide where he he didn't think cutting teams uh, was an option even down to Uh, two super rugby teams, uh, which gets us to the point where we can be genuinely competitive with New Zealand. I'll disagree with that. I think if you coalesced all of our talent to two teams, you'd probably see a um, a much different performance this year and in the future years. But that's not to say that there's not going to be pain and disappointment when people lose teams. And I think that's the conundrum that Australian rugby now has to deal with, is how do you make five teams work because we're stuck with five teams. We, we can't very hard to go back. Um, it's like, you know, which child do we kick out of the house? Can't really do it. We've got to figure it out. And, um, but I think,
0: yeah. I want to just throw in while we're talking around five yeah. teams and to sustain that. One of the comments that we hear a lot from that is we don't have the play talent to sustain mm. five teams, particularly to be competitive against New Zealand sides. I think that there's an, another edge of that sword that we're not talking about and that is private investment and being able to actually afford the talent to make our teams competitive. So if you look at overseas, we have probably three or four sides worth of talent over playing, Australian talent playing overseas in in Japan and Europe. We've got some massive names that every time the Wallabies team comes up every year, we've got names like Skelton, Latu, um, the, the the twins over there in the second row. Like they're not playing in Australian rugby at the moment. If we can bring them back, and bolster the super rugby talent, that's what we need to be focusing on, I think, at the moment, to be able to be competitive again. We need to bring our talent back home and have our players playing in Australia. We can talk about cutting teams down, but ultimately, we end up diminishing our product. We are no longer competitive in the Australian market against the NRL, the AFL, and um, and soccer if we've only got three teams that are competing against New Zealand. And even then, I don't know if we're going to be that competitive to be able to, to draw the crowd in to watch it. I think we need to be focusing more on bringing that talent back to play in Australian rugby for our our Super Rugby sides.
1: The problem, the problem is, is that is three to four times what they're currently worth. So we have to be paying these guys. Mm-hmm. Like S- Skelton will be close to one a million a year if he's not if he's not already. Like we can't afford that you know, McMahon, forget about it, Karevi, forget about it, we've just lost Coram Vetti. That is our problem is we're part of a global rugby game where 80% of the wealth is in Australia and France, uh, sorry, not Australia, uh, in uh, UK and France. And um, I agree that there's there's got to be a way in which we can do it. I, I've always wondered whether or not Australia could try and partner up with clubs in other countries so that we try and send all of our players to one particular club. Probably can't happen because, you know, that's not the way capitalism works, but... You know, something along those lines. We've already got a lot of Aussies at the Giltinis. How about we try and send a few there and then they come back so they get their, their experience? Um, but, look, yeah, I think ultimately we're going to see something that will, will come together at the Super Rugby level next year, which has to happen because that's what the the, the, the broadcast deal um, demands. But it will be a bit of a wait and see with um, domestic league. I really do hope something happens and something happens dramatically because I just feel that every season we don't have that there. We're going to have another super rugby season like this year where we've just got um a few uh, lambs to the slaughter um we, we should move forward because we haven't gotten to one of the probably the, the the main course of of this royal rumble which is what we always get excited about which is picking our teams and looking at the wallaby uh the wallaby squad that has been currently assembled so I think the best way for us to do that is perhaps everyone individually run through their their 23-man team, and then we can look at the overlaps and look at the uh, where there's there's conflicts and discuss and debate uh, until we're blue in the face. (laughs) Mitch, would you like to? um, uh, Sorry, Rev, do you like to um, kick us off with your team? Uh, Your your 23. Should you be made the sole selector of the uh, the Wallabies for this upcoming? series against France.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's up on the screen if you're uh, watching along, but um, gone for Slipper, Panga, Ramosa, and Taniela Tupo on the front row with Tamani and Loto at locks, Valentini Hooper, and Wilson in the back row, McDermott, O'Connor, in the halves, Corin Betty and Wright on the wings with Baisami at inside centre, Lenny Ketou outside, and Tom Banks at fullback. Um, Lockie Lonergan, Angus Bell, Alan Alatar on the bench, Matt Phillip and Izzy Nyserani in 19 and 20, uh, then with a combination of Nick White and Noel Alessio uh, coming off the bench together and Rhys Hodge is just a bit of utility value.
1: Brilliant. Um, Mitch, while, while your team is up there, why don't you run us through it quickly?
0: Yeah, so big differences for me. I've, I've got Alan Alatoa starting over Taniela Tupo. My biggest point there was that we've seen Tani Tupo scrummage pretty much illegally for the most of Super Rugby AU and Trans-Tasman. I don't know at the moment as we currently sit who's going to be refereeing um, the competition against France at the moment, possibly the Australian teams, but Nick Berry is off in in South Africa refereeing against the Lions, so I know he'll be out. Um, We may have Kiwi referees coming over to referee it. I'm not too sure what they're doing there, but I wouldn't want to start Taniel Atupo and then him get completely pinged off the park by the referee and then we've got to bring on our reserve too early and potentially get an injury and then we're sort of stuffed. So I've gone with Alan Altoa to start from a set-piece point of view and then I just prefer... Taniel Tupo to become on in that sort of 50th minute mark, fresh legs, just absolutely run over some French guys. Um, other big one, I've started Tate McDermott. At, no, you've got Tate McDermott as well. So Tate McDermott and James O'Connor in the halves. Um, biggest other difference is Hunter Paisami at 13 and Filippo Dalgunu. I just like the the presence of our uh, Pacific Island influence in in the um, the Wallabies at the moment. And I think Filippo has been in great form and I'd love to see him start at the moment.
1: Brilliant. Um, Harry, uh, I guess the next slide will be myself and Harry. Harry, why don't you run us through your team first, then I'll finish it off.
3: Yep. Yeah. I've got uh, Slipper VPA and Taniola Tupo at the front. I'm just reading the comments. Jason Sherman says you might be under undervaluing Matt Phillips' line out value. Uh, I completely agree, mate. Matt Phillip is in my starting <laughs> side. We can't say a to partner in there. Valatini, Hooper and Wilson in the back row. I've got Nick White just as the experience. <laughs> the Cone, to partner with James O'Connor. Having said that, I have been thinking a lot about these three tests and that it might be better to actually pair Nick White and Lalesio together and James O'Connor and Tate McDermott together, considering we're probably going to roll out a few different sides. But this is what I've gone with for my best side. Matty Toomua, to uh, despite having a pretty Average campaign, I think, deserves a spot given his history. Hunted by Sami at 13, Corabetti, right and Banks in the outside backs. On the bench, I think the front row is the same for most. Lock and Lon again, Angus Bell, Alan, Alala Toa. I've got Siddha Tamani. I'm not sure. I just couldn't put Darcy Swain in there, to be honest, and there's no one else. <laughs> Izzy Nasserani, I I really thought we'd see a lot more from him, but I've still got him on the side because, again, I think we're missing a couple of other key players in that squad. Tate McDermott, Lenny Ikatau, and Filippo Dungunu as well. So they round out my back
1: reserves. Okay, and I'll run through quickly my team. I've, I've got a, a couple of variations. Um, my, my, my forward pack is pretty much the same, although I've gone with... A, Angus Bell uh, as a starting um, I've, I've got BPA in there and, and as the boys will know he wasn't even in my starting team uh, until um, uh Kitu was announced to have an injury um, so he was definitely going to be my, my starting hooker um, however I'm pretty happy with my, my back row and I think really glad to see Valentini looks to be like he's really coming into uh, a bit more of a, of a of the zone this season. Um I've I've agreed with with probably Rev and, and Mitch in that I'm putting Tate and JOC together as as a halves combination. And I'm going down the path, which I may get chastised for, of of putting Noah Lessio in at, at inside centre, uh pairing up with his Brumby's counterpart Lenikatao, uh and Reese Hodge at fullback, assuming he's fit. Uh my reserves list, however, I'm trying to keep some some experience there with slipper. Obviously, uh, young Lachlan Lonigan is there because there's not many other hookers that seem to be in the squad. Uh, Darcy Swain is my probably described as a bolter. I'm sure we'll discuss that. And 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 probably my most contentious choice is is bringing uh, Lachlan Swinton, rewarding him for um some some pretty dodgy, dodgy play in the last few weeks. Uh, but Matt, uh, I agree. Matt Matt Turmore, who hasn't had the greatest season, always I think always plays well. Usually when he puts on a gold jersey, so it'd be pretty hard to not have not to have him in your in your twenty-three, and Tom Banks there is another cover. I guess um, well, here he is, Nelson Dale. He's 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 stormed into the rumble via our comments section, asking how many of us would have started Parisi if he wasn't injured. Mm.
2: What teams he play for?
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, probably not then. Probably not. I had uh, him. Yeah. I had him at listed as My thirteen, to be honest. If um, if yeah. he wasn't, I thought for sure he was the most damaging outside center. I liked Dicatel's yeah. form early in the season, but he kind of faded away, and I think he's probably got a little bit more maturity to grow. Um, mm. I'd definitely have him starting.
2: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Percy was in ridiculous sure. form. Yeah. Um,
3: I
1: suppose just, there's a, there a couple of other guys. Like Pataya is probably an injury. Um, he probably would feature in my 23 somewhere. Um not sure where, but it would be another contention. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: We'll just look at the sides, um, side by side, and see some of the differences and similarities because yeah. I really liked all the teams um, when I got to see them named. There's not <laughs> too many that um, I was looking at the spots thinking what's going on, but I'm keen to get into the ones that I guess I was scratching my head. Um, I guess, firstly, we all had uh, Brendan Pangaramosa Lucan on Salakai Loto, mm. uh, Rob Valentini, Michael Hooper, and James O'Connor starting. <laughs> so that was consistent across the board. Uh, we also all had Lockie Lonnegan as the reserve hooker, but I guess that was also partially because of the Fletty Kai 2 yeah, injury. Yeah, so that was um, <laughs> that, that was a good bit of consistency there. So five starters in line. So that, that seems pretty in check. <clears> um, I might start with the players that we omitted. So for example, I got in a bit of trouble. I didn't have Matt Zamora in my mm. twenty three. Um, and as Harry sort of touched on, I just thought his form for Super Rugby Trans Tasman and AU was pretty shocking. We're trying to you know to develop some new players as we build up to the Rugby World Cup, and you know I think against this French side we could probably afford to trial a few different players. They bring over some inexperience. We may as well play some of our form players and build that experience. Um, have I sold anyone on the no Matemua, or are you guys are still really keen to see that um, that inclusion of experience?
1: Uh, look, I I, I think he got to, I, I, a year ago. I thought he should be captain and he should be uh, you know one of the, the main leaders, and I still think that despite the year he had with the Rebels. Um, but I can see why you'd probably leave him out for at least the first or second test to give someone else a shot, and that's partly why I didn't start him. I wanted to see what someone like uh, uh, you know La could do if he was given that opportunity. Uh, um, Mitch, what was your sort of take on 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 that? Because you're obviously you know you've got. Uh,
0: Tamua right to it right in your, your starting team? yeah so with uh with Tamur for, uh, for me he doesn't he doesn't come off the bench uh for, for mine and I just didn't I didn't have enough trust in the other players in the in in the uh the wallabies extended squad to pick them over Tamure at the moment I know Tamua hasn't been playing great for the rebels this year but I'm kind of hoping that once he gets into the wallabies setup he's one of the leaders in this team. He will improve and find that form again that he's been lacking this year. It's a bit like Michael Hooper the last few seasons at the Waratahs. He always performs for the Wallabies. He was always performing for an underperforming Waratahs team. Um, I think he's another player that has that leadership capability and without him, I didn't wasn't trusting any other player to put him in over the top of him.
1: Right. I right, you go, with
2: I was just going to say, we might um, just, in trying to keep with time, I, I wanted to look at Tamura and I guess the person that could replace him because instead of having him on the bench, I chose Noah Lolacio. Mm. My main concern is Harry's the only one that didn't have him in the squad, so why do you hate him? And Matt's the only one that sat him in at twelve. What are you thinking? Like <laughs> we <laughs> might start with um we might start with Harry. So with your decision to not have Lolacio, is that just because um I guess there's probably more benefit in having those other backs out there? Because I do like that you've got Lenny Cattao and Filippo Dungunu to choose from off the bench.
3: Yeah, look, I, I think everyone will agree that three tests in 11 days, you're not going to only use these 23 players. Um, I definitely would be starting Lalesio for at least one of the tests, probably one of the three tests. But I think if you have James O'Connor and Matt Toomua in your side, why would you carry a third fly half? You know, if James O'Connor has to go off, To Omua just slides into 10, hunted by Sami to 12, it to 13. It seems like a, a pretty good way to cover your back line. I yeah. do rate Lolesio for yeah. that, definitely.
2: And so, Matt, putting him at 12, despite not playing there since mm. probably his under-20s days, um, it seems like a fun gamble, and he does have that partnership with uh, Icatel. Mm. Um, is that too risky for this French series?
1: Look, I'm, let me explain some of my selections. So I, I, <clears throat> I did think about this for a while, and I, I just spent a, a fair chunk of time sitting in my bed staring at the ceiling, um, <laughs> uh, going through all the combinations, uh, Very, very uh, in the style of the chess movie or chess TV series. Um, look, I had three sort of criteria that I was working off. One was I'm looking to the future. So I'm looking at 2023 and maybe even 2027. I think we have roughly about 25 to 30 Wallaby games until the French World Cup. So I think we need to be picking and sticking and actually working on who can be developed for the next two two years and a few months. Uh, a couple of guys in there like uh, Tamani is just too old. I don't think he's going to be um, firing in good shape by 2023. I could be wrong, and I hope I am. Um, I wanted to reward loyalty, so I didn't want to choose guys who, even guys who have already said that they're leaving at the end of this year, so hence why um, Corin Betty uh, doesn't make it, which is a tough move because he's a great player. I think he's one of our best players, but um, I just felt that, you know, we have to start making a bit of a drawing a line in the sand. Uh, and obviously it's, it's against the French, and, and they've shown us some, some very lovely... Uh, Uh, It's a very lovely uh, respect by sending us their B team. And let's face it, that's what they are. There's a lot of guys in there I've never heard of. Um, I I think, sadly, that's a reflection of the way a lot of people, teams in the Northern Hemisphere, think of the Wallabies these days. And we saw South Africa do something similar in the World Cup year a couple of years ago where they didn't put a field a a top team against us for the, the Australian test. But so what? But We just have to ignore it and move on. But there's an opportunity there. To, to give a few debutantes like Bell um, and even maybe Swain an opportunity to prove themselves. And um, that was part of my thing with Lollercio. Look, I just want to see a 10-12 combination that are actually playmakers. I'm, I've am i sort of lost interest. I've lost sort of, I just don't see the, the blunt instrument, hard running, working for mm-hmm. us these days. Everyone's pretty good at defence and I've always liked it when we've got you know, maybe two or three guys that could be playing fly half on a team. So, you know, my starting or the 23, there's at least four fly halves there. So, it means if JSC gets injured again or Tamur, you've got a couple of backups on the field. Um, and yes, as you mentioned, Lolosio has played there before and he can combine with Iketau, who he's been been working with for the last two years. Yeah.
2: Oh, nice. No, so, we got the comment from Jason Sherman as well. Um, just having Lolosio on the 23 is a good way to ease him in. And I agree because I think we saw with that test match against the All Blacks last year. Where he and Simone made their test starting debut together and they got fu- uh, up to 43 to 5. Yeah. Um, it's a great way to start. Whereas against the French B slash even C team, if you're yeah. you know getting some time off the bench and then maybe start the midweek test and another game off the bench, so it's probably a good way to get them going. Um uh, yeah. Sherman also mentioned Reese Hodge at thirteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was something that I'd seen pop up a little bit and isn't a bad shout because it does inject a bit of experience to the back line. The big concern being that he hasn't played there for a while, and I do think he's probably either our best or second best um, fullback option. I've opted for Banks just based off the form, but Hodge was, um, I think, our last Wallaby 15 in that last test against Argentina.
0: Um, just looking we at we the teams. How, cause, do we know oh, how far off Hodge is from being fit and, and ready to, to play? My understanding is that he's running around
2: now and is, is you know, going to be fine to be selected for that first test because okay. his injury was way back in round
0: seven. My, my team, I just wasn't sure if he was ready yet. I think it was about 10 weeks from
2: that initial injury. And I think if that was round seven, then we should be nearing that 10 weeks now and definitely with another what two and a half, three weeks to that first test um, should be pretty good for then. Um, but just touching on, I guess, some of the other differences, uh, Mitch, you already said why you had al starting instead of Tupo, which is fair enough. But then having Nisarani starting over Harry Wilson, I'm starting to think it's a bit of anti-reds agenda going on, and I thought you were <laughs> a bandwagon fan. So uh, do you want to explain, why did you choose Nisarani over um, Harry Wilson,
0: the incumbent? It was a little bit about, like I mentioned previously, around um, the Pacific Island influence in the back line. I just think that some of our bigger ball carriers uh, particularly in the loose, are going to be a little bit more effective against this French side. So I prefer to see um, the likes of Rob Valentini, Izzy Nisirani, uh, Lucan Lukan Loto and Seleki Tamani just running the ball hard through the middle, picking and driving as every good forward should be doing. Um, and yeah, I I just, I really like the, the ball presence that those, those players bring. Um, Harry Wilson's versatile um, and he's good, but I just, I, I like what Izzy Nicerani brings a little bit more.
2: Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Um, and the only other group I think I really had was our back lines um, all had a few differences and similarities. The benches had a few differences. I think the jersey number 23 was the only spot where we all had someone different. Um, and that's obviously based on, you know, the starting teams we picked and what style of play we thought with that run. But with the um, 19 and 20, I think Matt's expecting about 15 penalties off the bench with Swain and Swinton coming on as a combo. Um, it's a bit of an interesting mix, but... Um, what I like to see is we've got some genuine options here, and what we were talking about before was, um, you know how big the golf was between the Super Rugby sides for Australia and New Zealand. We've picked thirty-eight players for this, and realistically, we've probably named about thirty across the four squads here, and all of them look capable of, um, you know, doing a job against the French and you know even the Kiwi sides when we come up to it. So, I guess this is for me a big chance to decide on those 50-50 calls. Like we've gone for Ikatao and Paisami's options that alternate. Same with um Philip and. Uh, Sidalecki Tamani is there any player that you wanted to pick that wasn't in the squad we can run through one by one but I know as I was going through this there were a few players that didn't make the cut we've already mentioned um, Pataya but for me as well I really think Liam Wright's a pretty perfect (laughs) 20 option you know like he can cover 6 and 7 and whoever's at 6 can move to 8 I think he adds a bit of a utility role there Harry was there a player that you would have liked to have put in here um, that wasn't in the squad to choose from. There were heaps. Yeah. <laughs> heaps. <laughs> Who's number one? Um, um
3: probably I I thought I would have picked probably Falar Fenger over BPA. Mm-hmm. I know he seems to have fallen away, but I think they're pretty neck and neck really in how they play maybe BPA a little bit more solid at the scrum. But he's going overseas. So again, you know, as Matt said, how do you build for the future? You need a senior hooker in the squad that's going to be around to help the side develop and at the moment, for me, that's for anger. You know, there's other options, Pariki as well. I would have been happy to see him in the side as well, but it, you
1: know, that that was a big one for me. If I had to pick one, yeah, I, I agree. That was the first guy that came to mind when I was scratching my head looking for hooker options. I was trying to figure out why he wasn't even there. As, as you said, has he done something? Has he, you know, not sent a Christmas card to Dave Rennie? There's something he hasn't done, and uh, he, he's he's not in the good books at the moment.
2: And Mitch, was there someone for you that you would have liked to have thrown in your 23?
0: Uh, I really like, would have liked to have seen Dave Parecki. That would have been the player that I would have selected. The only issue with him is that when he gets in opposition 22, his hands become butter and he drops a fair bit But um, I think he – I would have liked to see him get the reward that he deserves of coming back to Australian rugby, a bit more experience getting back at the Wallabies. But I think we'll see him in the next few years. He's un- unfortunate not to make it at the moment due to injury, but maybe even more this year he might be an inclusion into the Wallabies. Yeah. What else?
2: What I like is Justin Sherman's thrown out the person I think was the most hard done by um, that was in the squad. I'm surprised no one chose him. I probably should have with my Reds allegiance, but mm. Fraser McWright didn't get a mention in any of the 23s. And for times, he was one of our form players. I, I should mention he had the second most turnovers um, and affected the most pilfers out of every Australian player across Super Rugby AU and Trans Tasman. Uh, I think, other than Richard Hardwick, who came up at number one, which is a nice little surprise, but probably benefits from the Rebels' defensive play. Um, so he, he's a really solid option, and I think everyone sort of acknowledged he's the future. It is interesting to see that he's not in any of the 23s, but...
1: I, I, I think guess... the only explanation for that has to be that we've all chosen Hooper, and I think it's agreed yeah. that Hooper needs to be in that team back from Japan leading it. And then, you know, it, it's it's with the lack of depth in other positions and certainly trying to cover the forwards, to, to just to have another, uh, another number seven is a bit of a luxury, really. Um, yeah. And so it's hard to it's hard to pick two breakaways unless you're going to play play him as a as a as a six, which I don't think works. I think I we'll, they're, they're not big enough. But I I'd, I'd pick Fraser McWright to
3: start second test. I think the yeah. the thing was we got to pick twenty three men. You know, like th- this is a squad, and I think definitely Fraser McWright will continue to develop. I'll be giving him game time for sure in this series and in the rugby yeah. championship. <laughs> but if I'm picking my my stronger
1: side, he's not in it at the moment. Yeah, Can I, I'll quickly explain my, oh sorry
0: Mitchie. I was going to say Michael Hooper gets picked because he's captain of the Wellbees at the moment for the first test, but um, we'll know after that first test what French side has come out and what level of player we are up against. And I wouldn't be surprised if Hooper does get rested for the second two to give McWright that time in that seventh position moving forward. But come rugby championships, I would imagine once we go up against the All Blacks again, Hooper will be in that seventh position.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I'd probably better just quickly uh, give some sort of re- a rebuttal, short rebuttal on on my inclusions of Darcy Swain and Lachlan uh, Swinton. Um, look, with Swain, you know, again, Swain's there because we have we have lack of depth in the locks or local. Uh, in our, uh, I thought he's, I think he's come along. The fact that he's a penalty magnet doesn't bother me. I like the fact that he has a go and I think it's better than a passive player that doesn't inject themselves. Um, Dan McKellar is now involved in the Wallaby setup, so that's probably going to help the forwards, may even give a, a guy like him a bit more confidence and a bit more mm. uh, structure to play, be a bit more disciplined. Um, Lachlan Swinson, you know, I thought he was a bit of a buffhead when I first saw him, and I've come to sort of enjoy what he brings. He, he's a wild animal, and he needs to be somewhat held back, but... You know, it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier to train a wild animal than a, 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 a tame animal to make fierce. And I think, you know, Rennie seems to agree with that because he's obviously put him into the squad. We need a bit more aggression and we need a player that can bite back. I saw too many instances during Trans-Tasman where our players were getting pushed off the ball uh, or taken out and there was nothing done. They didn't push back. They didn't even seem to, you know, have a, have a bit of a whinge about it. They just took it. Um, so we need guys that aren't going to sort of, you know, stand for that. A bit like Pablo Matera in 2020 when he said, I'm playing for my country, they've got to show us respect. We need guys that can do that. Yes, he needs to sort of figure out how to sort of put the shoulder in at the right level and the right the right height and, and maybe watch his uh, swing arms. But, you know, there's, there's something about him that doesn't bother me. And if he can bring that and it can be harnessed. You know, he, he could be like our, our own Finnegan who was a bit of a blunt instrument, but he was used at certain times back in the day and, and used very effectively.
0: Björgen um,
3: says, yeah, says, is it even a Wallabies or Waratah season without Swinton getting a red? <laughs> yeah. I, I reckon we only put him in the squad if it's a New Zealand ref. There's no red
1: cards from New Zealand refs. <laughs> <laughs> New
0: Zealand. Smart play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all day. But
1: look, I think the last thing I'd say about the second row is that people really do have to step up. And I think Salakai Loto, who's you know has moments of brilliance, he really needs to he didn't really take a hold of that that position. Matt Phillip did, Matt Phillip really stood up last year. And I think Joseph Sherman's mentioned before that he's got a real um line out potential. Uh, but you know, Salakai Loto needs to step up this year because if he doesn't, Isaac Roder's back, back in town. And uh, I suppose Rennie does have a couple of wild card selections up his up his sleeve should he want to select from from uh, overseas.
2: Absolutely. Now, I think um, it's only fair if we, you know, we've debated the teams, we yep. put it to Twitter. We might have a little poll, see um, which team gets most votes. Mm. Um, and just in the comments, vote for why you voted for me. Um, it probably makes <laughs> most sense just to I mean, you know, go through on. and see why you agree. Um, yep. You know, I'm happy to debate, but I think, yeah, look, I, I, I like that depth. I like seeing all those teams in action and it's good to see that, um, Even in the comments and the live Mm. chat, there wasn't any. How dare you include so and so? Or, like, there's a good amount of debate going around this team, and that's a really strong sign heading into any sort of test environment, I
1: think. Yeah. Look, we've got a minute left. Um, This has been great. Let's have uh, 10 seconds to meet you, Uh, Mitch, Mitch, and then Harry. What are your sort of hopes going forward uh, for the rest of this year?
0: Uh, I'll go first. So I, I'd love to see the Wallabies uh, pick their best 23 for the beginning of the French test, get some good momentum leading into the rugby championships and get some good wins under the belt. I think as Australian rugby fans, that's what we need. So um, start off well against the French, get uh, an idea of what our best 23 is and build a rugby chance later in the year in the Bledisloe.
2: Rev. perfect. I think I'm the exact same. I just want to know what our best 23 is. So use the first test to work out what that is. Um, iron it out in rugby championship, get a win over the Kiwis, uh, but more importantly, just focus on building this young side. We're the youngest out there, so let's build them.
1: Yeah. Harry, you may well get class, say if we get cut Just off. a clear
3: plan, aiming towards the World Cup.
1: That's it. Yep. Nice. Um, and I guess if we're still rolling, um, yeah, my end is if we things don't go well against France, and they may not, we shouldn't panic. We should be having long-term vision and um, cementing a squad that feels comfortable and doesn't have that pressure gets through the rugby championship, and then uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we're you know, hopefully I'm going to get to see some live games over in the UK, um, we get to see a team that's starting to build nicely. Um, look, we're going to bring this to an end. Uh, Chris Lamb, very ambitious, 2021, time to win the Blossom. I couldn't agree more. it has been time to win the Blossom for the last 19 years, right? So uh, let's hope something happens this year. But, look, I think uh, everyone... This has been great. I think we could probably do this for another two hours, these rumbles. They're good fun. And maybe we'll do another one at the end of the year. I don't know. I'm sure that there'll be a uh, uh, discussion amongst us about it. But if anyone does have any further comments or queries they want to ask, you can follow any of the four podcasts on your screen and, and reach out to us. And I think that's a great idea, Rev. We'll, um, we could put up the teams and, and, and get a bit of a vote and see who is uh, the People's Choice selector for the upcoming <laughs> French series. So without much ado, thanks, everyone, for your comments, um, jumping in, and we uh, really appreciate it. Follow us all back, and who knows, we may be doing this sometime later in the year. So till now, bye-bye. Bye. See you, guys. Thanks.